Hey, this is Melody Travers coming to you from Crazy Town. We have a very special bonus episode where two equal and opposite forces collide. Empathy meets energy and poop jokes. That's right. Crazy Town teamed up with Vicki Robin, the host of the awesomely optimistic podcast, What Could Possibly Go Right? We hope you feel inspired or at least experience a bit of schadenfreude. Check out What Could Possibly Go Right and drop us five stars to spread the Crazy Town experience. Hey, everybody. Welcome to What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute, in which we talk with cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good, asking each of them our one important question. In the midst of all that seems to be going wrong or wonky, what could possibly go right? And today we have a really, really, really special What Could Possibly Go Right, which is What Could Possibly Go Right, is meeting Crazy Town, or What Could Possibly Go Horribly Wrong, but we can still laugh about it and meet the moment. Two equal and opposite forces colliding. Colliding, that's right. The girls and the boys. (laughs) Empathy meets energy constraint. <laughs> wow, that was that empathy was a really means curmu- meets curmudgeon-y. I, I think you're all being too nice. I thought it was empathy meets poop jokes is, is oh, basically. Oh no, you were not supposed to do the poop Oh, oh yeah, jokes. so I I got to really button it up here. Button it up, dude. Okay. So, I mean, I'm here with three of the smartest, deepest, most informed and committed Despite everything they just heard. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, it was like that show, you know, uh, Mr. Bluster, uh, Howdy Doody. Does anybody, anybody remember Howdy oh Doody? Oh, my God, that's no. way back. My dad watched that <laughs> Yeah, and then there was, this, there was this guy, Mr. Bluster, who was like all sort of self-important, and then there was this guy, Froggy. And so Mr. Bluster would be blustering, and then Froggy would say a word on the side that Mr. Bluster would incorporate, like <laughs> poop jokes. You know, so you would say poop jokes, and I would suddenly say poop jokes, and then I wouldn't mean it. Anyway, here we go. I'm going to take this back. Three of the somewhat smartest. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Sometimes. Occasionally. Occasionally. Yeah, right. Exactly. I'm here with Cher Miller, Jason Bradford, and Rob Dietz, the stars of the very, very famous Crazy Town. And we're talking about the wall that we're all up against, the energy, equity, economic and environmental wall that we're crashing into. And um, so I just want to start out, if not everybody knows what Post Carbon Institute is, I would like you to tell us what Post Carbon Institute is. You're looking at me, huh, Vicky? Okay. <laughs> I'm looking. Yes, we're all looking at yeah. you. <laughs> well, we're all involved with the organization. This is a share, by the way, for those who have no idea who I am. And Post Carbon is a scrappy little Think Tank, a nonprofit organization that really focuses on helping people understand the complex dynamics that we face now with converging crises in our energy system, in our environmental system, in our economic system, in regards to inequality. And a lot of our work is to help people wrap their head around this sort of maelstrom of the meeting of these forces and figure out what to do about them. Part of that is getting educated themselves, part of that is educating other people, and then part of it is taking action, ideally, in their local communities to build resilience. Awesome. You're talking, and I had this image of that we're all standing on the deck of a boat in a, in a squall that's turning into a hurricane, and, uh, and, and, and you're, the, like, you're the dashboard. 
<laughs> you're the like here's here's the way the wind is blowing and here's the way the waves are going and here's the undercurrents and and so you know it's up to you guys you have the main sheet and stuff like that and you're sailing right is that what you are <laughs> Uh, well, I'm the guy that's vomiting over the side <laughs> while that's happening. <laughs> I'm trying to get to be the first one in the lifeboat. Exactly. <laughs> Women and children first, oh, dude. I'm helping, I'm helping the lifeboat crew. Yes. You, and I have to step into the lifeboat yeah. to help you, yes, the woman. I, I Jason's the George Costanza who knocks the kids, all the kids out of the way so he can get out first because right? of the okay. fire. Well, I'm yeah. very, very glad that there's something called Post Carbon Institute to help us out in these dire moments. And it is dire, you know? I mean, it is, it is a dire time. And it, no matter what you pay attention to, there's something to be worried about. And so I wonder... I'd like to hear from each of you or whoever wants to talk about how you are doing. I mean, you're purveyors of knowledge, but you're also human beings in the middle of this. And probably more in the middle than anybody else I know. You know, just you standing there on the deck reporting what you see. So how does that feel to you? What is it like? Yeah, well, I mean, you could obviously throw a lot of jokes out of how how you might cope, but... uh, I guess to take a moment, I feel like, you know, if your job is spending a lot of the day reading and thinking and writing and and talking about converging crises, you know, whatever, a biodiversity loss crisis, a climate change crisis, an inequality crisis, somehow you got to find a way to not spend all your free time uh, just staying in that rabbit hole. So I feel like there's two two ways out of it, at least that I've figured out. And one of them is just do something. It doesn't matter how big or small. I mean, like recently I started volunteering to pick up litter in my neighborhood, right? I mean, that's not going to solve the climate crisis, but it might keep one or two pieces of plastic out of the ocean. You know, we'll, we'll see. So, I mean, just doing things that you think are worthwhile in your community. And that's one of the things we push, obviously. The, the other thing is just staying playful, you know, it's hard when things get doom and gloom, but I think it's in our nature to laugh, have, have, uh, be able to joke with each other and play. So that's what, that's really what I try to do. And I like doing that with all of you present right here, right now. Yeah. I know this is really striking your heart, a sherry of two sons. Mm-hmm. You're, yeah. You're trying to navigate an organization, navigate the realities we're facing and navigate with the family and, so how are you feeling about this? It's a good question. It's uh, first I want to say I, I think that the metaphor of being on the ship is a uh, is an interesting one because if we're the ones on the ship, this is how I feel sometimes trying to trying to guide people or give people information. We spend most of our time being completely ignored. People are playing shuffleboard, they're <laughs> going to the buffet, you know, they're doing whatever they're doing. And we've dealt with that that experience where I think actually a lot of your listeners and our listeners can relate, and that is we feel like we carry important information and we want to alleviate suffering and to do what is required. And we've been kind of like the wind is blowing too hard for anyone to hear us, you know. Mm-hmm. Now things are changing, I think. And, and it's interesting because there has been, for me, a, a lot of weight being carried, a personal weight both a sense of obligation and responsibility and also just feeling like part of my job is to look at these things that nobody wants to look at. 
But it's moved now for me, and I think for others as well, from, and in some ways, an abstract or conceptual reality, or what is perceived to be a, a danger over the horizon, to now something that we're directly experiencing. So none of us are protected from what's happening with the pandemic. Even those of us, we got vaccinated. We thought for six minutes that, you know, <laughs> we might, it might be over or something for us. And it turns out not to be true. So dealing with that stuff uh, on an individual, individual basis, I've got one son who is too young to get vaccinated and I worry about him going back to school. And, and then with what we're seeing with climate, I think communities all over the place, we have a friend who's now batting down the hatches for a pending hurricane. By the time people listen to this, this hopefully will have passed, but he has no idea. He's in New England, doesn't know exactly what to expect. Here in the Pacific Northwest, we've been dealing with really high temperatures and fires. And so it's hitting home and it's, and it's hard. So, and, and I think like Rob, for me, it's about finding solace with family and uh, re-energizing with people that I love and really taking time to be thankful for the privilege I still have in being in a beautiful part of the world experiencing generally functioning systems, I'm living and breathing being with my health, you know, um, and I get to do very important work. I can't, can't really complain, all things considered. Yeah. Jason? Uh, yeah, I, I, I have kind of almost like a, oftentimes I get a lump in my throat, I get a heaviness in my chest. Even if I'm out on the farm focusing on weeding or whatever, or harvest, I, I I'll take a little break and I'll do the wrong thing. I'll check my phone and, <laughs> and I'll, like, I'll get flooded back with this stuff. But some of it is sort of an acceptance that, that things are going the way they're going and we haven't been able to be heard and haven't turned <laughs> the direction of the ship. So I've almost internalized that, that reality of, of it's kind of late to prevent all kinds of terrible things from happening and grieved a bit. And you don't stop grieving, but you sometimes, you know, it's not the first time you've felt these things. You've almost had the premonition and grieved for the future, and the future has arrived. But sometimes it makes the, the beauty of the present very sweet, in a sense. And so I really, I enjoy when the skies are blue, and I, I see the birds, and, you know, it's beautiful cloudscape, and the wind in the trees, and the flowers, and just, you know, just try to be present to all that, and, and my family and friends, so... Yeah, it sort of reminds me of the process I've been in recently, very much like you, you know, like warning, like, lemmings, turn around, <laughs> cliff ahead, <laughs> here, over here, you know, like the stewardess on the airplane, in case of a water landing, yeah. <laughs> you know, go that direction. And then in the last year, it's sort of like, as you say, the events have caught up. With the reality, I used to feel like, oh, I'm sort of 20 years ahead trying to like, hello, here's 20 years from now. And then it was 10, now it's five. And then it was like, I am in the middle mm -hmm. of the waves. You know, we were talking earlier about surfing. You know, I, I dove into the wave incorrectly and now I am as, as tossed <laughs> as anybody else. Getting tumbled, yeah. <laughs> I tumbled into the wave, you know, gasping for breath along with everyone else. So I've gone through my own process and I've turned to the serenity prayer. Uh-huh. And 
you know, it's like that's been sitting on the shelf like for years. That's just sitting on the shelf. I was should go over. I dusted some time, but now it's really pertinent. I even talk sometimes about how this society is addicted to oil, addicted to consumerism. So it's an addictive process. And now the Serenity Prayer, and which is you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, and the you know, the courage to change what I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And the word for me is acceptance. Yeah. And, you know, that seems like, what is it, a six-letter word or whatever, I can't count (laughs) on the fly. But it is such a profound word of being able to accept it. And I was thinking just today about it's also sort of the last stage that Kubler-Ross talks about. Right. And you can get into acceptance, but you could get you know, fired from, um, from, uh, you know, not fired, but anyway, you could, you could get into acceptance and live another five or 10 years, you know, so there's a state of acceptance that isn't like, oh, it's the end of the road. Bye. This state of acceptance that we can live in now for decades, you know, whatever, whatever's happening. It's just, an interesting thing. It's acceptance with agency, I think. I mean, we're not talking about acceptance in the form of fatalism, which I think some people have fallen into, and it's understandable. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, frankly, I, I know a lot of people who have dedicated decades of their life to trying to warn humanity about what we're doing, and and now they're seeing the consequences. They're experiencing them, and and they feel like some level of resignation or fatalism about it. And on some level, I can respect that, especially for our elders. But what I don't want is people to have acceptance that turn into fatalism when, they're, when they are in a position that they could do something. There's a lot to yeah. be said about what that something yeah. is, but there is, there is a lot to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You don't... You don't want to just throw your hands up and go, oh, well. (laughs) There's there's a lot to be done, but I think it's a different spirit. It's not like I'm doing this in order for that result so that I can save the world, you know, or whatever. But there's a great deal to be done because if we are in a collective set of crises and we don't know which way the wind is blowing, back to the boats, uh, then being present, alert, available – you know, manning your post or womaning your post. You know, these are all important. Yeah. So uh, I don't think I'm as advanced in my thinking and my ability to act responsibly as you are, <laughs> Vicky. But like, so when, you know, you're bringing up the serenity prayer and the like stoic philosophy, right? Which, like, that's where I want to be. And yet, uh, when I'm present, uh, I can do what you're talking about, Jason, like notice the beauty in a creature or in a, a cloudscape. Or, so, but I'm also often, and I don't want to take this down a dark path, but I'm also present. Like, you know, we were watching a, a giant tractor till up the soil across the way on a conventional grass seed farm, and it's just blasting uh, this plume of dust into the air. And I... I often walk through the world going, well, that can't keep going on. That can't keep going on. <laughs> yeah. What is that guy doing? What the hell is that all about? And it's like, uh, that's the. I think that's a big challenge to people uh, on this boat or, or in this um, activist space with us. It's like, even uh, disregarding the heat dome and the forest fire and the and things like that, like in your 
everyday existence, you just look around you and go, well, that's not sustainable. <laughs> there, there's and so almost like, nothing about the modern <laughs> industrial world that's going to last. Yeah. So that's what's so shocking, right? You're, it's in your face all the time. It's true. Yeah. And I mean, I often turn it into a joke, right? Because it's too, you know, otherwise you'll just be crying all the time. Well, and that's why we we called our podcast Crazy Town. Because it feels like either the entire town around you is crazy or you're crazy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of both. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like Debbie Downer all the time. (laughs) No, it's like, you know, beautiful trees. I said, you know, they're going to be dead in 20 years. You know, lovely weather. (laughs) We'll enjoy it while it lasts. You know, it's like, I just have to, I have to bite my tongue now or I'm not going to have any friends or I might not actually have friends right now. (laughs) I just have the appearance of friends among polite people. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, uh, you have to decide who you're going to depress or if you're among the others who are apocalyptic, who's the most apocalyptic? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, or where you're going to move. Yeah. Buy real estate in Duluth. That's your tip. <laughs> I know you were waiting for what you could do. Right. <laughs> or maybe not Duluth. Um, so we, we all thought it was in the Pacific Northwest. We sort of gloated, thought we, oh, well, we're in the right place. And then, yeah. da da da, the heat dome. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, you know, we're all activists. We're all giving it a good go and we're going to keep doing it. So I just. And we've known each other for about 20, 10 years, easily, 10 years, um, some more closely related than others, you know, and we've all been in this trying our best. So I'd love to hear from each one of you just something that you've tried in the last decade or so that you think that was helpful, that was good, I, I'm, or that I'm proud of that work. That was good work. And something you've done, maybe even the same thing, that you think <laughs> you sort of wince when you think about it. You know. Like <laughs> <laughs> so, anybody have any examples? I guess you know. I, I hearken back to my time. I was in Willits, California, and it was a really kind of amazing experience. I was in my mid 30s, and I show up to this town, and it's a small town in Mendocino County, and I start. I start talking about this stuff and the next thing I know there's like this movement happening with hundreds of people literally showing up to meetings within like a month of me sort of getting space at the community center and um, and it's like oh my gosh what are we doing Uh, what's going to happen now and um, so it kind of took on this life and got all kinds of attention and I think is you know um, helped inspire what's now called the transition towns movement so um really proud of all that. It was also really awkward because I sort of saw what that all the accolades, all the patting on the back, you know, I remember this, it it didn't seem to do anything when, when the powers that be had to, had to decide really put their money where their mouth is. No. And, uh, I mean, to some extent, you know, we did solarize the water treatment plant and I wouldn't say there was nothing that happened. Like there was some really neat things. Um, but I mean, you know, they would give you an award and tell you how wonderful it all was. And then it was, you know, fund a freeway project. You know, it was just like in the same meeting. Right. And um, so it was just very weird to see how, how compartmentalized people could be. I could, I can't, I have a heart. I'm sure I do. I'm, I'd be delusional. I'd be self-delusional saying that I, I'm not self-delusional. So, okay. But I think I'm a little bit less able to, to basically dissociate, 
you know, one part of my life from the other. Within the same meeting, people seem to be able to do that with different agenda items, you know? And uh, so I guess that was a lesson, and that was really hard to see, you know? People look in the eye, and you think you've got them, and then, what the hell was that all about? Yeah. 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 it makes me think, um, so Jason, when you started that, uh, I, I've known you for a while, and you're a really good and passionate speaker and really fluent in all kinds of scientific uh, topics and, kind of, I, I don't know, kind of professorial in a way where I could see people. Will you dial it down a little bit? We have to share like, okay, a yeah, podcast you, with him. Sorry, you suck, Jason. <laughs> yeah. No, you, like, I just, I always appreciated that about you, and so for me, uh, a success. It was kind of like getting to the point where I could find some voice to uh, do two things. One, ask questions of people who are in sort of powerful positions. And the other is to to be able to talk to an audience and, and tell them some things that I that at least thought I had found out. And uh, an example of that, uh, I guess two things come to mind. I mean, one is you don't know when something you say is going to affect someone really profoundly. I've had people come up and say, you remember that time in, in 2004 when you said blah? Well, I, I went off and did this. I'm like, uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember saying that, and I hope you're okay as a result. Uh, yeah. But like that, that really uh, can touch your heart, that you encourage somebody along the way to make a change in their life. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and then on, on the asking people in power questions, I got a chance to, from the audience in a conference, ask one of uh, President Obama at the time, his top economic advisors, a question about perpetual economic growth. And she was kind of flummoxed, like, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and she actually invited me then later to her office to, to be able to talk about this and like sort of brief her on the whole idea, like Herman Daly's ideas of a steady state economy. So like you, you just don't know when, if you ask a question, if you're willing to sort of stick your neck out a bit to, you know, whatever, nobody likes to speak in public or very few of us, <laughs> um, but it's something you can, you know, you, you do and you just don't know what the results will be. Now you asked like successes and some things that went wrong. Well, one of the things I've noticed about this is I've had really some pretty good responses with strangers, but with people that I know, oh yeah, I, it's terrible. Like I, I'll have friends say stuff like, "Wow, I, I wish I could believe what you do or do what you're doing, but uh, I just can't." So you know, <laughs> screw off, you know. And like, I don't get very far. Um, yeah, trying to, you know, it's like you were saying, Vicky. You, you, you can be depressing talking to your friends about about these things. I mean, a friend of mine just told me, like, yeah, I started looking at your book, and it seems like everything that I like to do is bad. <laughs> like, well, yeah, sorry. Glad you got yeah, the point. Yeah, tough it out, dude. <laughs> everything? Yeah. There are some things that cost very little yeah. <laughs> that are a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm glad you brought up the people in your life, Rob, because I think um, for me, I find it much easier to speak my mind and tell the truth to people that are not in my life. Uh, I really have a lot of respect for the listeners out there who kind of stick their neck out in their social networks and do that. 
because like for me, I, I, I sort of, I'm lucky to have a bit of my release valve through the work that I get to do and I get to right. yell at the, the world in whatever way, you know? Right. Um, but I hate, and, and my wife is often saying to me back when we actually used to be able to gather socially with people, you know, you never, you never really answer the question when people ask you what you do. You know, I'm like, I don't want to be depressing, you know? <laughs> oh, I, I, have, I have to, yes, that happens to me too, where I just like, I hold back. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a bummer, right? You don't want to be the bummer. I want to get invited back to the party. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so for me, to answer your question, Vicky, you know, my, my role is, is behind the scenes, you know, qu- quite a bit. And, and I would say on the success side, I, I'm really proud of the organization, what the organization has done in terms of its limited resources, its willingness to be creative. We've experimented a lot over the years with different mediums and, uh, you know, tackling different topics. Uh, I remember we, we did a lot of animation work kind of early on after I became executive director. I was really proud of of things like 300 Years of Fossil Fuels in 300 Seconds, which is probably our most popular animation, where we try to distill things down. I still get com- We still get comments from people like, uh, it's not exactly 300 seconds, because <laughs> yeah, it's a, lo- a little bit longer than that. Um, but Missing the point. Exactly. <laughs> but what's so fun about those things is how collaborative those projects were. You know, like Richard Heinberg, our colleague, you know, wrote the script and narrated it. You know, Todd Brilliant, who, who used to work with us, kind of led the animation effort and got these guys to do do it for, on the cheap. And, and Ken Way used to work with us is the one who actually came up with that that title, which I think actually helped a lot. So I love the collaboration stuff, and I'm really proud of the th- things that we've been willing to do as an organization and always trying to t- tell the truth as we see it. On the flip side, there's definitely been things where we've been disappointed in the outcome. You know, like we did a kind of a white paper, and we tried to work on actually another animation that fought for a number of reasons. That was all about, it's called No App for That. I still look at the content and think that that's fantastic and fantastically important content, but was really disappointed in terms of the outcome of, of the reach of it. Some of it, some of it we can control, some of it we can't. My biggest challenge has frankly been trying to talk to people who have, who have significant resources that they could put towards this work. And when I do have those conversations, it's not always about trying to get money for post-carbon Institute. It's about trying to move people in philanthropy, many of whom are environmental philanthropists to, to grok this stuff that we're saying. And I've had long lengthy conversations and build relationships up with people. And, you know, one example, there's a, there's a foundation, I won't name them that were assigning our, the first book we ever published after I became executive director of the Postcarbon reader, they would assign that to the new staff that they hired, but they didn't give us any funding because we didn't fit in one of their program buckets, which is exactly <laughs> the whole point is that we have to think beyond these buckets and these silos. And I've often wondered, like, am I just doing this badly? Did they pay uh, for the books, though? Th- uh, I don't. I don't recall. Should okay. I charge them like a <laughs> you know, thousand? You know, the twenty, <laughs> the twenty bucks, Jason, yeah. wouldn't have made the difference. Okay. I'm sorry to tell you. Okay. And that's always. It just always reminds you. It's a little bit of what Jason you were talking about, just in terms of people being able to compartmentalize. People go back to what they're doing, and that's a that's been a constant frustration. Yeah, I thinking of so many stories now as I listen to you guys, the story that occurs to me with that is I was in the Netherlands and at the My height people. 
of uh, yes, right, where your your ancestors come from. Yeah, so it was at the height of my belief that your money or life was like the ultimate hammer and that every, we were just going to bang every nail and somehow or another the ship, yeah. back to the ship, would um, stay afloat. And so I got myself a meeting with somebody like in Friends of the Earth, Netherlands, or you know, some important agency, and I, I'm rattling on to him about our strategy that we want to, you know, we decided that basically we were working off the Everett Rogers curve, if people remember that, you know, where this sociologist said that, you know, if you can get 5% of the population yeah. to think something, then that idea... Diffusion it, of innovations yeah. is what yes, it's called. Yes, innovation diffusion curve, right. And so 5%, you sort of like you, you've, you've brought something into existence, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, you, and then, a, then the next 15%, if you can get 20%, then the idea becomes unstoppable. So we were working on that theory, you know, and we were just counting up the audiences of every show I was ever on. We think we've gotten half the nation, you know, so, so it was a, it was a strategy that I still hear these days about if you can reach just 3% of the population or 5% of the population. Yeah, it'll roll. Yeah, yeah, it's going to like, you're going to like, and so it's almost like it's, it's, I, in a way, I think it's very American, this sort of, sort of outrageous optimism that you can do a small thing and it's going to like blow up, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and become really big. So I'm telling him about our strategy and how many people bought books and da da da. And he's looked at me like I'm nuts because he said, all my work is for only one person, but it's the right person. You know, he's doing everything for that one policymaker mm-hmm. so that that person who's in a decisional role can make a different decision. And, and we're like blinking at each other like two alien species. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know? And I felt a little embarrassed. I felt mm. a little sort of frothy American, you know, sitting with a very mature person from the Netherlands. It also reminds me of another thing. You reminded me of that. Where in uh, in the 1990s, the UN had a series of conferences about the poly crisis. You know, mm-hmm. the, the United Nations was on board with this in the 90s. And so, you know, the Earth Summit, 1992, yep. the Earth Summit yeah. was like, you know, did we not all get religion from the Earth Summit, you know, and, and Agenda 21, and we're all going to do it, and this is, we're going to do it together. So in 1994 was the Cairo Conference on Population and Development. And so we had been working for several years on Your Money, Your Life. Was in, yes. And we had a database full of names and addresses. We used to use like mailings like back a physical then. physical address. <laughs> yeah, physical yeah. addresses of people who had come to our seminars or bought, you know, or, or written to us about how moved they were by the book. So what we did is Timothy Worth, who was the... UN, U.S. representative to this U.N. conference on population, he was doing a series of town hall meetings around the country. And what we did is we wrote to our list, and uh, we said, every, in every city where he's showing up, go to the microphone and say, you know, the, in the United States, we use, whatever it is, 25 times the resources right. as people in other countries. So consumption is the population issue in the United States. We need to lower consumption as part of our work on population. Yeah, And so we got people in cities around the country to do this. And at the end, I went to a celebration just before he went to Cairo, and he said, I have traveled this country, and I've learned something new. I've learned that consumption Mm. is the population issue of the United Nations. Yeah, I mean, did it make a difference? No. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I, I'm going to play a role that I don't often play, right? okay. which is the, the, the optimist here. Think, I, I'm, I'm retiring. I'm out. <laughs> think, about, think about the Netherlands, your story about the Netherlands. So there's, there's really interesting work happening right now. Kate Rayworth, who you've spoken mm-hmm. with recently, you know, is doing, is started doing work with the city of Amsterdam to think about how to apply, you know, the, the donut, you know, theory of economics uh, to what they do in the city. Time will tell whether that bears out, okay? But you, you could see, I, I could argue that you help perhaps lay some of the ground for that work to be done, right? You you prep the beds a bit for that. You planted those seeds in people's minds to make them more open to something and and even fed into the ecosystem of ideas that Kate borrowed from and learned from in the development of her work. And and then the conversation you had with that guy about trying to influence policymakers or the key policymakers versus mobilizing the populace. It's obviously a both and. You know, it really is. Right. Well, it's, that's the thing is that, you know, we were going we to lower consumption in North America by the year 2000. That was our task. Mm-hmm. And we were going to use our little hammer, your money, your life, and that was going to, like, yeah. pound in every nail. Right. And right. so around comes 2000. My co-author, Joe Dominguez, is now dead from cancer. And all of the data is going in the wrong direction. And I really went into a... Depression, you know, not like, you know, official, but it was just like a a sinking feeling, like the thing I thought was going to work. And what I didn't understand is the systemic nature of things. Hmm. So that's a positive and a negative. It's like you said, you know, like, okay, this person told me that what I said, you know, 12 years ago in a talk made a huge difference. The ripples from what we are doing are unknown to us, and they almost have to be unknown to us, or we will be, you know, hogtied by trying to affect every ripple. Mm. But we really, you know, so, I I mean, not to be a cheerleader, not to be Debbie Upper, but, (laughs) you know, just to say that, and that's part of acceptance, to accept that we do not know the results of our actions, Mm -hmm. and that we really do not know the timetable, and we do not know whether the positive wave is coming next Thursday. From all that we've done, we can't come to an early conclusion about our impact. We just water the garden. You can't make the carrots grow, as you well know. (laughs) That's a good Grateful Dead song, by the way, Ripple. (laughs) <laughs> You're into that now, Jason. Yeah, very, very, very along this conversation lines. Rob actually. was regaling us for listeners. He was regaling us with a version of Ripple last night. Well, we we we, we sang a little together, so it was it was a it was a total harmony. Yes, and I, unfortunately, <laughs> it was unfortunately we didn't get recorded. it recorded. Yeah, it was so, a cacophony. Well, so you could do, we could freeze uh, it now. I, I think Rob. the rest of the world is missed out, and they're yeah. just going to have to live with that. Yeah. It was just know? a moment. Just a moment. go look it up. Listen to the dead. It was a it. moment, but that there was a ripple from that moment and it arrived right now and who knows where well you know i haven't had my metaphor moment you're talking about boats and planting beds and growing seeds and all and uh i've often think about it as uh start you want to start a landslide of change and it's all of us throw our little rocks it's another great song by the way oh yeah yeah that one's pretty sad uh but but like I think, Vicky, you're talking about sort of like this hero moment almost. You're hoping that your hammer bangs the right nail and then, and then the thing happens. And uh, I, I just applaud anybody that in the face of 
you know, the, the dire things that are out there that you're, you're in the game. You're trying, and your rock, even if it doesn't start the landslide, is part of the emotion that, that will you know, okay maybe one day get us there. Is it okay to throw a rock at certain people? You know, you, you, <laughs> you do what you got to do. You stabilize the cliff and right. all the McMansions go down. Right, right. <laughs> wait a second, wait. No, but this is a really great segue into the actual question of my podcast that oh. I ask everybody. Good, we get to do this. You get to do it. <laughs> Jason's uh, been chomping at the bit for a long time. <laughs> In the midst of everything that seems to be going wonky, awry, wrong, what could possibly go right? What do you what do you see like the green shoots coming up through the concrete? Do you know what do you see? What's the fireweed? What's the you know what what are the lodgepole pines if we want to do the forest metaphor <laughs> that that you see sprouting right now that and it's not it's not to generate hope like okay i can sit back now the lodgepole pine is doing its work but but it's it's to inspire people who are listening to realize there are things i can align with and cooperate with that are going in a good direction cuz people want to know what they can do and it's not you know don't buy a hunk of metal that plugs into your house to put in your driveway that's not it it's a line you know go with the flow align with the things that are emerging so i just open the floor what do you see well i've been melting down silver to make a bullet <laughs> and uh, i've got a big collection going no. uh look I, I actually think uh of the young people that i've come into contact with they have two things really going for them. One is what you were talking about at the opening of this, Vicky, which is acceptance. They don't think like uh, I'm going to be richer than my parents were, and and life is going to be that much easier or better. I think a lot of young people are looking at what's going on, and they're like, "Well, that's a my future is very different from what you know what your future was." So. So now what, what can I do? So they're, they're in that place. And the other thing is they're way smarter. The knowledge that they have of what's happening around them has, has really impressed me. And a, a lot of the young folks, that, like I said, that I've come into contact with, either you know, my daughter or her friends or, or um, you know, college students that I've spoken with, like, they, they want to do stuff that, that helps. And so I, I'm you know, they, they face a very tough road. So I don't want to say, oh, yeah, they, these kids are just going to make everything all right. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to be realistic about it. I think they're going to have, a, you know, they're going to face crises and have to figure out how to do it. But but they're, they seem like they're game, which is, you know, I, when I was in college, I, I felt kind of lonely. I mean, I was the only one studying environmental science and most people were just, you know, whatever, studying business or accounting and wanting to go out and get a high paying job. And I mean, I'm not saying I didn't want a high paying job, but, <laughs> but I, I, I wanted to, to, you know, to address what I saw as kind of humanity's biggest problem. And, um, and I think a lot more students and a lot more kids are already there. Yeah. Um, try to be brief here. I think, uh, piggybacking on what Rob said, and it's, has more to do with the changing circumstances in the world than anything that Post Carbon Institute or our allies have done. But there's there seems to be much more recognition of what we're grappling with here 
we do have people spinning out into denialism of different forms or distractions, but more and more, I even just overhear people. And yes, we live in a progressive town, but I overhear people talking about these issues in a matter of fact way, in a clear eyed way, um, where they're connecting dots between things. And, and so I think the level of understanding and recognition that people have Climate is, um, sure, media spend more time talking about Jeff Bezos' space penis to, you know, <laughs> rocket than they did climate change in 2020. But when you look at policymaking right now, climate is on the table in almost every conversation. There's still a big fight to be had, you know, around commensurate investment in it, but it's there. And I think just in the general discourse... I think it's there, and a, a sense of more of the intersectionality of these these issues. There are lots of things that people are doing that I think are are really inspiring in a lot of different areas. I, I'll I'll just focus on things that are around people, like an example of people doing things that are really positive in the context of how our situation is unraveling. So here again, I'll just t- talk about what's happening in my own backyard. When the lockdowns happened early on in the pandemic, people are home, restaurants and local businesses shut down. A group of you know people just got together and decided to start a new effort. They called it It's On Us. And what they wanted to do was they knew there were a lot of people that were out of work and didn't have money or were insecure financially and, and could use some help. And there were businesses, local businesses, that were facing the same thing. So they did a fundraising campaign to raise money to pay restaurants in town to make good, high-quality meals for, for people in the local community. I remember going around town and seeing one day that there's a line out the door of one of our local businesses went around the corner. Those were people that were lined up to get a free meal, no questions asked. And, and then when the fires hit uh, nearby last summer... A lot of refugees from the fires came here and they were parked at our local uh, county fairgrounds. It's on us stepped up to provide meals for those people as Mm -hmm. well. And what was really interesting was to find out that many of the people, you know, many, it's like 60% of the people who donated money also got a meal, which Mm. gets to this idea of this mutual aid, which we're seeing cropping up in a lot of places as well. And that is even people that are really, they're, they don't have a lot of surplus and a lot of wealth and a lot to give, are giving. And the efforts that exist that are just about people providing whatever they have to share, whether it's time or money or other resources to one another in a reciprocal way, I think we are of necessity going to have to see a lot more of that, and there are some great examples of it happening out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I think that you're getting to, I think it's so important, is a sense of community and belonging and uh, as Americans, as sort of Western industrialized capitalist society people, we've been sort of drilled in sort of the, the nuclear family and not necessarily being communitarian. But I think, you know, as, as we evolved, as humans evolved, that's what we were. And there's a, there's a, so what, what could go right is uh, we 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 really embrace that aspect of ourselves and we create communities that bind people together without outgrouping too many others. <laughs> uh, so there's a danger to that. So one thing that worries me about everything is so the time component. When you think about how fast things have happened, 
that's maybe one of our most precious <laughs> resources now that we're going to be short of is time to adapt and, and change. So I'm hoping there's a volcano simultaneously in the <laughs> northern and southern hemisphere. And that, Buy that, some time, cool that, the Yeah, it spews just the right amount to drop things by 0.5 degrees Celsius. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, for, you know, the next 20 years or so. and um, then. Um, I don't know if you've noticed the pattern of we keep making breathing room for ourselves and then we <laughs> delay longer. I think that the, uh, the, the double volcano might be a bad thing. Well, it, you know, but oh, okay, 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 okay. In, in combination of the double volcano, um, it leads to uh, uh, a, a, a mutation in um, um, a rust fungus that pulls in genes from the psilocybin genus of mushrooms. <laughs> oh, interesting. And it colonizes all of the grains all over the world. And so, so every time we eat bread, we get a little like uh, everyone is like what, tripping, and yeah. they're like, and an entire new religion forms that uh, the entire Earth has a Gaia religious attitude now, and we all decide we're going to protect Mother Earth, and we see all as one. Of course, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos would immediately snatch up that and 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 figure out how to make a profit off. You of are back to the we're back to the sixties and LSD and the water supply. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But it's fine. Been there, I mean, done that, Vicky says. No, no. no it didn't happen. This it is didn't the happen. Right. Yeah, it's, this is how it will happen. Oh, this it's is It's a good idea okay. that's lying yeah. around. We should talk to Milton Friedman. Right. He's dead. I'm sorry. Oh, we could have yeah. a seance. <laughs> yeah, you know, this This. This might sound macabre, but um, yeah, what you, when you were talking to Cher, I was thinking of a guy that we met years ago um, who was a consultant and... Um, he had been sent in by the Red Cross to several, like, like you know, earthquake, mm-hmm. tsunami, etc., to find out how we can better support people at those times of incredible crises. And he came back and he said, people are supporting each other. This is not the time that we need it. That there is mm. some social gene that seems to kick in not necessarily with authorities picking up people of color off the roofs of their house in, after Katrina, but there is a social mutual aid gene that kicks in in crisis. And I'm also thinking that with or without the psilocybin in the, mus- in the you know, food supply or on the grain, <laughs> that there could be a huge relief like, we've been watching this bubble that everybody knows. I don't understand how this happens, that the world's going to hell in a handbasket and the market's going up. There seems yeah. there's something wrong here. There's a feeling of wrongness. Yeah. And that as the wrongness lands, it's, it's possible, and it's not something we're going to sit back and count on, but it's possible that that's the time. When but humans- I, I want to play. I want to build on that. Not sit back and count on. Right. No. Right. Exactly. In this moment, what needs to happen is for all of us, and I say that to the listeners as well. We need to step forward and, with empathy and patience, which is hard to do sometimes, help people who are asking these questions understand what's at the root here. You know, because otherwise, if we don't have that, we are going. People resort to strong men. They resort to simplistic answers. They resort to us versus them tribalism. Um, they they resort to to kind of the negative fear based 
reaction zones and there is an alternative to that but we need people to guide people there yeah and i but it's like what i'm saying is that when you're having symptoms and you know something's wrong that's one thing and you're you know, you're doing all the ersatz things you can do, like drink a lot of gin at night or whatever it is you're doing to manage, <laughs> do that anyway. to yeah. manage the fear. And then you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you have cancer. And I've had that moment yeah. hmm. you have cancer. And it's a very weird moment. I mean, some people may be very afraid, but very often when somebody gets a diagnosis, they feel relief. There's something about now the other shoe has landed. Now I know what I can deal with. So Mm -hmm. I think this, what you're talking about, a share is the sort of prior to, like when people are, do I move to Duluth? Do I move to the Pacific (laughs) Northwest? No, not the Northwest anymore. Okay, what about the St. Lawrence Seaway? No, it's it's like there's an agitation in the general field. Yeah. And I... I think something that we can't necessarily count on, but we can notice, is that there are these things like the lodgepole pine. There, there were the, the 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 cones open only after fire, so that it, it it is programmed. It's called serotony. It's sort of delayed expression of biological features at times of crisis, mm-hmm. and it's almost pro future because. Because that's what life has to do to persist. It has to have this sort of infusion of energy at the times of greatest challenge. It's like the adaptive cycle. There's a re- that release phase and then the reorganization. Yeah, I, I again would want to challenge ourselves to say that I agree with all that. Maybe those of us who are in privileged circumstances, and let's just take the climate situation where we're, we still are in relative comfort and many in the world are, are really at the edges of it. Let's, let's have a pre-crisis so that they can be spared a situation where they, there is no recovery. The cone cannot open up because it's underwater, you know? <laughs> just, just to say that those of us who are prescient enough to see what's coming and feel a sense of responsibility and have the privilege of being able to do something act you know act now yeah i, I i'm not i'm not countering that because no, no, my, no. i've spent my whole life <laughs> my whole adult life has been that but there's just something that is occurring to me right now you're seeing it live folks is that it, part of the faith is that i am part of life and life itself has systems for persistence like you know i realized that life goes on is not some sort of sad sorry you know like booby prize that life goes on is a quality of life it's irrepressible it's an irrepressible quality of life and so in a way right now we can align with the life force with the with that life force in each of us that says i will Go on. I will adapt. That sounds like you've already had that bread I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we're not going to even talk about <laughs> what I did in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's um, I don't know. I just, uh, I feel, 
And because because what that does in me now, I don't know if I'm a freak. I probably am. I'm sitting with three other freaks, so you know, <laughs> freaks of nature. Yeah. So I feel like like as I'm sort of shoring up my ship, I feel like you know these these crises that we've been in this summer have like woken me up even more. You know, and I've got like okay, personally, what do I need to do? I I just need to. I've been pretty sloppy, you know, just indulging my emotions. You know, just like oh, I feel miserable, and I think I'll feel miserable for day. No, I'm just sort of like, okay, I'm gonna face issues I need to face. I'm just gonna face them now. Now's the time, with compassion, you know, with honesty, but not dawdling. I feel like I've been dawdling in things, mm-hmm. and now I'm not gonna dawdle. You know, yeah. so I have. I have my backyard garden, which I call Wabi Sabi, which is a big excuse for a lot of things that aren't working. But I really want to, you know, I really want to, like, like make a better garden next year. And it's not a fear thing. It's like, okay, ship shape, you yeah. know, ship shape. And then look, I'm looking around my community, you know, and, and there's, like, you know, some local food organizations. We're doing a local food challenge or whatever, you know, local food month. You know, and I was like, okay, guys, how can we, like, up the game? Let's up the game on the local food thing. Let's, 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 let's change one regulation that's in the way of processing our own poultry. You know, I just feel like there's an energizing there's a possibility yeah. for being energized yeah. by the very things that could be de-energizing us or or pushing us in the direction that you're talking about a share of just like fragmenting right and yeah times of consequences are also times of clarity and they can bind groups together to make changes at the system level that individuals could no, couldn't do before i that, think that's a great place to feel and if you can catch that wave and surf it, uh, do it, <laughs> you know? That is a wrap. <laughs> that, that was one of the best sentences I've heard. <laughs> Coherent, pr- uh, commas in the appropriate places, a period at the end. Um, I, I, I want to say, if anybody would like to make a final, you know, like wrap it up comment, that's, let's do it. Uh, I just want to say thanks, Vicki, for all the work you've been doing, the support you provide us, and uh, for staying such a strong activist. It's really inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I guess I agree with that. No, I, I, <laughs> I love you, Vicki, and it was really fun having you here. And and uh, for folks who are listening on the Crazy Town feed, they should check out what could possibly go right. And if... Uh, Folks on the What Could Possibly Go Right feed, don't mind listening to us bozos. They could check us out on Crazy Town. That's our show. Thanks for joining us in Crazy Town. This is a program of Post Carbon Institute. Get more info at postcarbon.org.